bonus bitches. All right, man. <clears throat> We're here. We are in for a treat, not only with our taste buds, but with our discussion. We're talking about, I think, what you and I would consider a director of our time, Mr. Christopher Nolan. We're going to be ranking his films. We're coming off of Le Fin du Monde on the last episode, and now we are going to uh, drink a uh, limited run of a Rheingeist. Uh, it is a fruited sour ale. It is called Perceptual Passion. You and I are going to split it. It's, uh, I'm excited. We're going to get this thing cracked open. It's like a, almost like a wine bottle. Hope nobody uh, minds the big pop that we're about to get. It actually might not. And it, it probably will have no sound now that we're... Oh, fuck. Moment of truth. I hate that you just built tension because I don't think I'm going to be able to cut it. Uh, <laughs> ten years later. Two hours later. <laughs> that was always the strangest thing in SpongeBob. Oh, yeah. What the fuck was that accent? I don't know, but stylistically, it was always so fun. I think we've had this discussion before, and I had this discussion with uh, Elizabeth's family a couple weeks ago. The fact that all of the media we consumed as children via cartoons was written by a bunch of potheads. Like, that's the strangest thing in the world. Yes. Dude, I literally cannot get this open. Do you mean try? Boy. You're the one that works out. You're I, talking, I was going to say, you're talking to the goddamn strongest man in a high right Mr. Muscles over here. Oh, there it is. There we, and we got the pop. It did not disappoint. Ooh, man. This thing is fucking funky. I'll tell you that much. Okay. I think I'm ready for it. It's fucking crystal clear. What the hell? Pour me a glass, bartender. Oh, my God. I can smell this. This is like fucking cheese. Are you serious? I can smell it. What kind of fruit specifically is this supposed to taste like? Bubba, we're going to find out. Oh, that smells good. The that wheel good. of cosmic process perpetually turns our sour blonde ale. Tropical fruit flavors balanced with vanilla, mild funk, gentle acidity. May your cup be filled with perceptual passion. 2018 gold medal winner. Rheingeist is a, uh, is a local brewery that I'm just not as crazy about as some others. Uh, I think I'm in the same boat as you. None of their beers are my favorite. Exactly. Yeah. They're solidly okay across the board. I actually think my favorite Rheingeist beer is when they do um, the Penguin, which is the Nitro Coffee Stout. That's yeah, my favorite. That's a good one. I also like the Cloud Harvest IPA. Yes. That's always a fun one. Moment of truth. Oh, man. That thing is fucking tart. Whoa. Okay. I wish every fruit sour was <laughs> this fruity and this sour. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. This is amazing. Yeah, fuck yeah. Hey, man. Rheingeist, here's you, their hit right here. You did something right. Good job, guys. Talking all that shit. Yeah, still fuck them, though. Was that the whole bottle right there? Mm-hmm. It's a pint. It's just a pint. Damn. The bottle okay. looks a lot bigger than what it really is. We've drank a couple pints already tonight, so. Um, but yeah, man. Nolan... Dude, what other to say than just, yeah, Christopher Nolan, man. He's your favorite, right? Or one of your favorites? <sighs> I guess. I mean, it's been a long time since we've talked about him on here. Hmm. I mean, when we reviewed Interstellar, we were baby boys to the podcast mm -hmm. game. God damn, that thing is good. That That is a, that's an amazing beer. I feel like it woke me back up. Yeah. It's so sour. When I want a fruited sour, I want to have that much sour like that's that's what i want sour candy is the best candy it's like a dude i was a warhead kid yeah yeah yeah, yeah me too good. black nerds. cherry i wanted black cherry warhead that was the best flavor warheads nerds 
Sour Starburst were really good too. Sour Starburst. I like sour Skittles a lot. Ooh, I'm not a Skittles guy. I hate regular Skittles. Sour Skittles are the shit though. Anyway, Nolan. He's our man. I think maybe my top three directors, I don't, I, no particular order, would probably be Nolan, Tarantino, and Villeneuve. I think we've had this conversation a handful of times. Yeah. Um, it's probably changed a little bit over the years as we've watched more movies. Mm-hmm. Our, our repertoire has grown. I think with me, for some reason, I always had this natural instinct to like rebel against the idea that Nolan was as good as people say he was. And I, I think I'm wrong because I've been on this kick lately where I, I rewatched every movie that he's done in the last year and he's fucking great. I have my issues with him, but he's fucking great. And we'll, we'll get into that on a movie per movie basis. Okay. I think we could probably get out all the negatives with my first pick. I know, well, let me let us preface. You have 10, I have nine. I have not seen insomnia. Yeah. Should um, we explain the rules as well? We're following your list, right? That's fine. We can follow my list. I don't care. Okay. Whatever. Whenever I hit insomnia, I can give my thoughts on it just because you don't have it on your list. Okay. But we'll go through the list. I'll say what I have at that number. You'll say what you have because we're following your list. We'll talk about the movie as it pertains to where you have it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well. I have 10, so I should start first technically, and then we'll start discussing at number nine, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Okay. At number 10, I have, ironically enough, 10 it. Okay. <laughs> well, this will be fine. At number nine, I have 10 it. So Ooh, okay. let's do it that way. At number, uh, sorry. At number nine, I have The Dark Knight Rises, by the way. Okay. But we will talk about Tenet. Okay. Yeah, Tenet. Movie I've only seen once that I think would be a lot better with a second viewing in like only one way. <laughs> um, outside of that, I think it's a, an extremely overdeveloped overcomplicated plot with unfortunately some of the worst sound design out of all of his films and oh my god you're telling me dude i actually like a lot about this movie like there are some things about this film where i am completely on board and then there are other parts that are just like so vague to the point where it feels like the James Cameron avatar of Christopher Nolan films. Like, mm. this is a tech demo. This is me showing you I can play things in reverse and make it look cool. And, like, that's, like, the majority of the fucking film. And it's so frustrating because I think the script is just not tight enough for, like, the really complicated full circle that he's trying to achieve where I think in other films... It's masterful. In this film, it's like, oh, we can use more modern tech and we have the ability and the budget to make things overcomplicated where it just gets so fucking muddled. I completely agree. You might be a little nice compared to (laughs) what I have to say about it. (laughs) I fucking hate a lot. Like, the protagonist literally being named the protagonist, like, characters being extremely one-dimensional. I thought you liked this movie for some reason. I mean, like I kind of. I mean, I kind of like it. I mean, I kind of like some of it. It's like a good six out of ten. Oh man, do you know what I rated this on Litterbox? A one or like a half star, maybe. I gave it a one and a half. Mm. I think to me, this movie is not a disappointing Christopher Nolan movie. I think it's like just kind of a bad movie in general. It's all of Nolan's negative characteristics cranked up to eleven. Yeah. The overly expository dialogue where I felt like 
each scene was people talking to each other, and I literally felt like I no longer understood the English language. <laughs> <laughs> like, people just said things, and I was trying to tie ideas together. Someone would come on screen and say, Twilight dances at the sunset, the river drives at the east of the northwest, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Dude, it made me so angry. I think this is the film where Nolan is the most self-indulgent to the point where it becomes unintelligible. There has been a problem with Nolan in the last three to five years, and I think it, it makes itself apparent in Dunkirk. Okay. And I think it made itself apparent slightly with Interstellar, where dialogue becomes too muddled. In Interstellar, it's digestible. In Dunkirk, it became a little bit of a problem for me. And in this film, it becomes the biggest problem. Mm, Okay. It's like showcased in a way that is like extremely frustrating. And I know Nolan is a director where he views dialogue in a way where he wants to put it on the back burner to where score drives certain emotion. And I think it like is actually done really well with Dunkirk because in Dunkirk, I don't really feel like it's character driven, more situational and the score helps drive the pace. It's extremely technical, which is something that we love about Nolan. But in this film, it's like, hey, let's do all those elements, but not do them right Um, (laughs) to the point where it's it's frustrating as a fan. And it's something that I really fucking worry about and why I'm not super hyped for Oppenheimer. I love hmm. Killian Murphy. I think he's an incredible actor. Is that really how you say his name? I think it's, I, I pronounce it Cillian. That's how I pronounce it too. He's a great actor, you know, apparent in Nolan films throughout the decade, but it just feels, it could be a really big miss because Nolan's at the point in his career, in his career where he has the budget to do whatever the fuck he wants. Everything shot in camera. He's a person that no one says no to, it feels like lately. And... Don't be wrong, he earned it, but with Tenet, I felt like it being his latest release has me extremely worried for the future of his filmography. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, like I love, I love, I fucking love Nolan. We both know that, but Tenet has me so anxious for the future because cinematography-wise, it's fucking beautiful, but to be able to, like, read it front to back, it is almost impossible. You know, I don't know if I agree with the fact that the cinematography is that good Mm. in this movie i think that okay i've read many comments saying okay the movie doesn't make a whole lot of sense the first time around but it looked good i don't know if i agree with that i think a lot of the locations were like really drab in this Mm. movie we're kind of like bouncing around as if it's like a a james bond type movie like it's a a little bit of a spy espionage type thing (laughs) yep we're going country to country but i never felt like i had a good sense of where we were or like why we were there Mm. a lot of one note characters coming in and out of the movie characters coming in to have a few lines of dialogue to give exposition for the next uh scene that will also be an expedition exposition (sighs) dump Uh, I think there's a scene with a a scientist lady character where she says, don't try to understand it, feel it. Yeah. But the problem is, I don't understand it, nor do I feel it. You know? I, I think that line of dialogue is literally supposed to represent the movie in a way. I think it's a film that's a little too, again, overindulgent to where I think the way Nolan is operating, he thinks it's extremely complicated, but it comes across 
almost like a little bit insulting. Like <laughs> uh, we could like, spend all fucking day I on know. this one. And and granted, I think I've wanted to do tenant for the podcast for a long time. Oh, we like, still could if you wanted to. As a main as a main line fucking we could talk about it for an hour and a half, but I I think there's too many problems to the point where like we would just walk away angry. I think we should just leave it as that. I, I think I think I think there's a reason it, it it's at the bottom. Now I think there was some things that I thought were extremely amazing about the film. Like oh yeah, like obviously like time moving backwards. Some of the reverse sequences are very cool, but it's just that it is just cool looking. I think Robert Pattinson was having a lot of fun here, even though he's like publicly stated he had no idea what the movie was about. <laughs> And um, classic Kenneth Branagh as like the generic Russian villain guy. Uh, it seemed like he had fun hamming it up as well. But yeah, dude, it has me worried. Honestly, it does have me worried. Oppenheimer will be better. I think you're right. It's a biopic. Dude, it's got fucking Josh Peck in it, bro. It's going to be fucking <laughs> epic. That alone gives it a seven out of ten. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one that you and I will want to see in theaters together. Oh, I'll be there. Do you want me to state my number eight first? Well, technically you're number nine, I guess. Oh, I said, uh, sorry. My number nine was Dark Knight Rises. You're at number eight. My number eight is The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, cool. Perfect. And I'll tell you what my number eight is after we talk about this one. Okay. The Dark Knight Rises is a very frustrating movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Definitely the worst out of the trilogy. I think my favorite part of the film is Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, like, full steroid playing Bane, a believable Bane as well. Taking, like, this domestic terrorist approach to Bane, where, like, where Bane is typically portrayed in the comic books as, like, a, an ex-luchador with chemicals pumped into his back to make him extremely strong, like, leaning into that comic book Bane is something that I think they tackled well in the film. Also, like, the the subversion, thinking he was the, the child that escaped the prison that Batman, Christian Bale, uh, Bruce Wayne gets set up in. Um, that was a fun little subplot, but yeah, this movie like felt like the exposition dump for the, the trilogy. I kind of felt like Nolan didn't really care about making this one, in a way. I think you might be right. I think the script is so fucking boring. It's very sloppy. Yeah. Like the Catwoman. Like... Hey, the most recent Batman film with Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, like that was a great tackle for yeah. uh, Catwoman where I felt like the Catwoman that was tackled in this one was just extremely sloppy. Like I didn't care about her at all. The romantic element felt extremely forced. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, it's so awkward. Well, they're kind of like doing double duty in that department with mm -hmm. Catwoman and... Uh, Dahlia, I think is her name. Like Al Ghul's fucking daughter, daughter. or some shit. Yeah, it's so weird. Ah, dude, plot-wise, it kills me that Bane and his goons like infiltrate Wall Street and manipulate the numbers to make Bruce Wayne go broke, even though they did it in broad daylight and everybody knows that's what they did, but like financially it still stands for some reason literally like the federal government would step in in that case like hey uh this like didn't really happen <laughs> um all of the cops in gotham 
like get trapped in a tunnel for some reason. Like they sent yeah. every single cop. I literally have never viewed this film this way, but I know it it sits here. When was the last time you watched it? Has it been a while? It's been probably like three or four years. Okay. It really is like plot points just to make the next plot point happen. And like that's the movie. Like we're just kind of like forcing things to happen. And the end feels really weird. Like the ending feels like it's supposed to be like this bow, like this fucking cherry on top where it feels like just really confusing for some reason. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's definitely the worst film. And I actually think like critically it is praised or at least ranked a lot higher than it should be. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's kind of a bad movie. Dude, it's got like an 86% on like Rotten Tomatoes, I think. It should not happen. If it says anything, I went and saw the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises. That's weird. And <laughs> that's, I didn't expect that. Really? Yeah, that's strange. It's one of the few midnight premieres that I have seen. But I remember I went with Olivia and my brother, and we all walked out, and none of us were like fucking critics, but we all felt really weird about it. Mm. Like, wow, well, yeah, it was okay. It was good. Eh, like, that was like our basic sentiment. That's the worst feeling when you leave a movie because you know that you're going to like slightly hate it over time. It's like we didn't want to believe that it was as bad as it was, mm. you know? Yeah, it was weird, man. It's a weird movie. Okay, so I purposely left out what I had at number eight uh, because it is the film by Nolan that you have not seen. Mm-hmm. I have at number eight Insomnia. I think this is often considered the most forgotten Christopher Nolan movie. Is it his first film? It's his second, okay. actually. It came after Memento. Okay. It's his first with a major studio, and it's the only film in his filmography that he didn't write. I think Insomnia is pretty okay. It's really weird because it's more of a David Fincher-style detective murder mystery than it is like a grand concept or... There's no time manipulation or anything. It's really just kind of like an average murder mystery. There's a few things that set it apart. I think it's interesting because we have Al Pacino as our detective, and we kind of find out who the murderer is early on in the film. It's Robin Williams. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Him and Robin Williams kind of team up in a way because the murderer witnesses Pacino accidentally kill his own partner so there's a little bit of blackmail going mm. on between our hero and our villain in this turn of events our hero kind of becomes a villain and it's a weird sequence of events i think it's worth seeing just for the sake of seeing robin williams be like a murderer in a movie that sounds so weird it's well shot i mean the um the scenario the movie takes place in is interesting they're in alaska during the season where the sun doesn't go down for like three months straight so that's where the title of the movie comes from because pacino can't sleep he's got a guilty conscience and the sun never comes uh the sun never goes down so yeah that's actually kind of (laughs) smart it sounds cool and it is cool but it's like just not super notable okay it's literally the most i've heard about that film ever so really yeah i'm never i've Literally never heard anyone mention that film at all. Kind of strange. Um, number seven, I have Dunkirk. Okay, at number seven, I have Batman Begins. Okay. But we'll talk about Dunkirk. Preface, I watched Dunkirk on a Sunday afternoon while hungover after a long Saturday night uh, of intense partying with uh, a bunch of middle-aged people. 
And I watched it with low sound because she was sleeping while I was watching it. So it was a film that I like really didn't digest in the most welcoming mindset. I think I got the gist of it while I watched it, though. Okay. And, um, it's a film that like I, I respect, but I, I don't think really resonates with me very well. And I think moving forward throughout the list, I think the films become definitely more opinionated in a way that I view them in a um, positive light. This is a film that I think Nolan transitions a little bit more into technicality, um, leans a little heavier, where he starts to move away from a little bit more high, still high concept, but um, less character-driven, leaning into technicalities with Hans Zimmer score and editing is a little bit sharper. But hey, I'm a big fucking sucker for character-driven, highly emotive, and uh, it's just a film that doesn't really resonate with me like the other ones. Okay, you wouldn't be the the first person to tell me that. I put off watching this one for a long time because everybody told me it was boring or it was just okay, and I, I watched it just last week, and I was kind of blindsided by how much I liked it, to be honest. Uh, you mentioned that it's more about technicality instead of being um character driven or concept driven i think it's kind of the strength of the movie in a way where like nolan's dialogue isn't the strongest usually and like concepts have the um the capability of falling apart in a way just seeing this real life event played out directed by one of the best to do it for some reason it ended up being one of his most emotional movies to me Mm. displaying all these young guys that are helpless in a situation that really isn't their fault, just trying to fucking survive. And the score definitely helps drive all these situations forward. But God, this this really hit me in a way that I didn't expect. I mean, I, I can't deny you those points. I, I do think you're right. I think for me, though, the film feels um, extremely bleak and dire until about the last 10 minutes of the film. So I think percentage-wise, you know, if you look at it in the way of, like, what the emotion driven throughout the film is is displaying the entire time, it, it feels extremely bleak, anxiety-driven, which, like, don't get me wrong, that is a very positive element to the film. It, it leans 100% into that. But it's I, all spectacle. But, yeah, ex- I think as we move forward from the bottom of our list up, uh, it will become very apparent that it will just be personal preference yeah, moving course. forward as far as what resonates the most. And to me, I view Nolan in this tight, character-driven, highly emotive facet. Like That's what I want from him. I want him to be masterful in his characters and less about situation. And like that's why I don't like it. And I think... I, and I think what the the biggest thing for me about the film, maybe why I already have reluctance to even think about Oppenheimer, is the fact that it's kind of fucking boring concept. <laughs> like, it's just like historical. You're not playing with anything. You're not like... It's not subverting yeah. this history in any way. I understand that. Maybe my optimism towards the movie is because I was surprised how mm. great it was. Okay. I mean, if it means anything, I texted my friend Logan and said, hey, I watched Dunkirk, and I thought it was wonderful. 
And he said, really? I thought it was a snooze fest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like I, I get it, I guess. I don't know. It, it really surprised me by how much I was into it. I don't think it's the type of movie that I'd rewatch anytime soon, but I don't know. It, I just seemed to get a lot out of it for some reason. I also do think like my mindset when I watched it was working against me in some ways. Um, We're at number six, right? Correct. This is going to sound sacrilegious. At number six, I have The Dark Knight. Wow, that is kind of sacrilegious. I know. Um, at number six, I have Batman Begins. Okay, cool. Yeah, I feel weird ranking this one here. I think Batman Begins is, um, I think I like it more than The Dark Knight if it wasn't for Heath Ledger, like absolutely commanding an amazing role that like I don't have any more to say other than what's already been said about that. But I think Liam Neeson playing Ra's al Ghul and this being the first installment of the trilogy felt extremely unique. It felt like it leaned a little bit into the grittiness um, that you don't really get uh, with the other two films where like those are a little bit more hyper-realistic. Gotham feels dirty in this movie, which like that's my favorite part. It feels like Gotham. Exactly. And, and it feels like a comic book movie. Like it shouldn't feel like Chicago. It shouldn't oh my feel... God. Tell me about it. That's my biggest thing with The Dark Knight that I can't stand is it feels like just fucking Chicago, Seattle, fucking Atlanta, mm. New York. It, it just feels like a couple city blocks. In this movie, it feels like, oh, we're like doing up a set. Like there's... Like it feels like the slums. It feels like dark and and rough but also like you get to see bruce wayne climb a fucking mountain and there's some mysticism the the background of batman as a character and that's something that's like missing element wise Mm -hmm. from the other two films where it just feels like they're playing two hyper modern renditions of these characters where in this film it just feels it feels like a nice blend between the two yeah i agree I think with Batman Begins, for me, I find it to be a really cool origin story for the character executed about as the best it could be. Mm-hmm. And then once like the villain stuff comes in, I think it, it kind of becomes forgetful in a way. The back half is a little bit more boring than the first half. I think with like the Scarecrow character, like that stuff could have been really interesting with like the gas that causes people to have nightmares like and like paranoia these, and these stuff acid trip type things but then like the scarecrow even gets sidelined for liam neeson mm-hmm. and then like that's kind of where i check out in a way like oh you had your cool villain but now we have liam neeson <laughs> like <laughs> i just i'm not into it as much <laughs> but it's liam neeson with like a goatee and a mustache like <sighs> i'm just kidding uh like i I do think the last 30 to 40 minutes, my brain starts to check out in the film, but I think conceptually it is the most fun out of the three. It feels the most Batman out of the trilogy. It's kind of sloppy too. Yeah. It's kind of sloppy in a few, in a few ways that I like kind of find charming Batman and his stiff fucking neck, like leaning into the, the classic, uh, like Michael Keaton Batman where it's like, I turn my shoulders to fucking like show emotion. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think it's the least egregious in this one compared to the other two. Like, his voice is worse in the next two. Yeah. The combat's better in the next two. I the think. interrogation scenes in this film are fucking great. Yeah, they are. Like, that feels like Batman. Like, that feels like, you know, Arkham Knight video game or comic book Batman. There's an element of fear mm-hmm. in this one. And I think that's kind of played up in 
the new Batman with Rob, yeah. Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like they nail, like, Batman's scary and criminals would fucking cower if mm-hmm. he was on his way. I think that's kind of forgotten in the next two yeah. installments of the trilogy. Where they feel like techie and, yeah, James Bondy. Like, they feel, yeah. like, heist-driven. Very strange. Yeah, I don't know. I think we'll get there, but I think The Dark Knight ranks higher for literally one reason, but... Yeah. Um, at number five... Okay, at number five, I have Inception. Okay. At number five, I have Memento. Ooh, okay. Interesting. God, it gets so hard as we as we move up through the list here because I think they all have their reasons to be ranked highly. I think Memento is just the one that I, I think out of... How do I put this? I think I have Memento a little low, to be honest with you, but... This I is de- tough. I definitely think it could switch with my next my next one up, but... Out of all of the masterful Nolan films, I think this is the one that resonates with me the least and is um, of the best of his films. It's the one I saw the most recent. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think it has sat with me in a way that I I cherish the others. Memento is one of the most unique buddy cop, like uh, mystery uh thrillers that i've seen i don't don't know how to describe it it's it's so unique in its own way who's the actor by the way i cannot remember the name off the top of my head guy pierce correct incredible performance by him or like i don't Mm -hmm. think he really ever ever has another film quite Mm -hmm. like this where he's showcased in a way yeah what year was the film made like 2002 i think two okay i was gonna say say 01 it might be 2000 actually okay Feels like there's like some sprinkles of classic Tarantino, like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Like there's some grittiness to this film. It is um, the most unique in a way where like none of these actors or actresses ever return in a Nolan film. Where I know. In, in other films, they like, oh, you're a side character here, you're the main character there, we're gonna make use of you here. These characters, like, they never return and they all have amazing performances. So. And it's like you're, it's one of the the Nolan films where you're bending reality around a situation. I think it's one of his best usages of time abstraction Uh or moving backwards through the situation. I honestly think this is one of his most airtight scripts, the way that events play out, where they had to write the situations to reveal information Mm. in a perfect manner backwards. And then, like, kind of ending up in a situation where, like, that that very first scene makes so much more sense once we get back to square one. Especially when, like, we have these black and white vignettes that are kind of playing alongside the backwards (laughs) scenes. So, like, they kind of meet up in the middle. Dude, I think when people talk about Christopher Nolan, mind-bending extraordinaire, I think this is, like, one of the best examples of that, to be honest. And this, this one ranks a little bit higher. I'm sure it does. It's just fun seeing him go with like this low concept, low stakes, single character. I think it's just tightly written, man. I kind of wish he would do another movie that's like this small. Yeah, I was going to say on the scale of a little bit less blockbustery. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's fucking great. This one screams the most David Lynch to me. Like this one reminds me Mm -hmm. of like David Fincher. Yeah. Or, yeah, sorry, excuse me, David Fincher, <laughs> the alcohol speaking. I would love to see Nolan do a David Lynch type movie too as well, <laughs> not going to lie. Anyway, uh, where are we at, number four? At number four, I have Dunkirk. Okay. Number four, I have The Dark Knight. Okay, cool. 
man. The Dark Knight. I don't know if it even belongs as high, but everybody fucking loves this movie, man. Yeah, I think we. I think I made a comment, like a really nasty comment. I think on the last podcast about like for some reason twenty. 7-year-olds to 32-year-olds like love putting like the Joker ha 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 why so serious on the back of their Kia Soul. <laughs> like those, those I don't remember fucking, you saying that, but those yes. fucking car decals for some reason. Dude, this film was a fucking cultural event. I remember being like 8 years old or some shit. Like I mean, I was young and I remember playing with Legos with a good family friend while my dad and my quote unquote Uncle Rick, you know, he he's a close close friend of my father, watched this film like in the midst of my parents being divorced. Like <laughs> like I mm-hmm. like have very vivid memories of like him watching the film in the other room and thinking like, God, this movie is so weird sounding. Just hearing like the the strings crawl in a scene and deep bass and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like this film's fucking great. You've got an amazing score a beautiful intro, fucking gritty and dirty intro to the Joker. Oh, that bank robbery scene is awesome. It's the best. Batman being torn between, you know, Harvey Dent and Rachel, like that whole sequence. I mean, this is like Heath Ledger's film. Like this is his movie. Uh, it's less mm-hmm. about Batman and Absolutely. Um I think it's the darkest. It is uh the grittiest of the three in terms of morality and em- emotional stakes. I fucking love it, but it's also like I could go my the rest of my life without ever watching this film again. I've seen it way too many times. Same. It's been praised way too many times. Mm-hmm. Did you know that this is in the IMDb top 10 films of all time? Yeah, I mean, it sounds right. I mean... I can't help but I don't, feel like it's a little bit overrated. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right, honestly. And don't get me wrong. The movie is rock fucking solid. Like, plot-wise, I think it's... It's a great film, but pop culture has kind of like pushed it to this edge that it's not fun anymore. It can't live up to what people say it is in a way. I actually think like while thinking about it, it's kind of fucking boring at times. Thank you. (laughs) Like, I don't know if boring would be the word I would say. Everybody remembers Heath Ledger's performance as the Mm -hmm. Joker all the in-betweens are kind of, like, just okay, I yeah. think. There's I mean, a lot of, like, subplots and side ventures that don't pan out in the most exciting way. I mean, there's, like, um, like killing judges and killing commissioner, like, the previous commissioner. and Yeah. I mean, like, there's some fun stuff with that, but the majority of it is, like, hey, remember when Heath Ledger said this? Like, yeah. It's got some of Nolan's best, like quote dialogue and it all comes from the joker specifically mm-hmm. i wouldn't be lying if i said that i think the whole bomb on the boat subplot at the oh end my God. is like so fucking boring it's a really annoying detour where we have to like jump between like criminals and civilians like oh there here's this like complicated morality case but like it's not really all that complicated oh leave God, it out of the movie so please i think the 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 civilian dialogue on the boats is so fucking boring and yeah. like really fucking cliche. Well, 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 they had their chance. They ruined. Mm. They they had their chance in society. <laughs> Why should we have to pay the price? Yeah, fuck that, dude. That's that's fucking boring. But I, yeah, I mean, it like the fun part is like Heath Ledger being like, mm. I've got the upper hand. I think the 
status that the Batman trilogy has in pop culture is really owed to the fact that in the 90s, Batman was was ruined so fucking hard with George Clooney, George Clooney and Val Kilmer. And oh, my God. We had gone so cartoony that Nolan kind of overcorrected into ultra, mm. excuse me, into ultra realism type stuff. I think that's why I think Robert Pattinson's Batman is the better Batman. Like, I think this trilogy that we're going to get by Matt Reeves will surpass what Nolan did. I think um, the most recent Batman film is like the perfect in-between. It's like the gritty and the modern, but it's smart in a way that I think Nolan isn't quite as tight. I feel like Nolan kind of forgot to have fun with the Batman movies in a way. Because like the fun... The attempted fun in the 90s ones were, like, so bad. Oh, my God. But I was like, okay, we can't do anything goofy or cartoony or comic book style. Like Uma Thurman. <laughs> and Bane is, like, a God. pro wrestler. It's so, <laughs> so weird, dude. It's so fucking weird. Oh, yeah. Schwarzenegger is uh, Mr. Freeze. Have an ice night <laughs> type shit. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Okay. God damn. That's funny. We're on to greener pastures. Where are we? Number three? At number three, I I have Memento. Um, Number three, I have Inception. Cool. Okay. Inception's cool as fuck. It is fucking sick. This is actually a film I've been wanting to rewatch for a little while now. This is a film I used to watch probably like eight to nine years ago when uh, when I was a kid. I would watch this after school for like three months in a row. Like mm-hmm. I was, I, for some reason, my personality was, I need to watch a movie over and over and over again because that's what I do. And, and even though I'm not getting anything new out of rewatching it, I just hey, need man. to rewatch it. That's being young and a kid, you know? You know, hey, fucking praise to the younger me for watching such a fucking complicated movie that like for mm-hmm. some reason my mother can still not understand. Really? Dude, she's like that movie confuses me. I don't understand. I'm like, "Why do you what is there not to get? It's a fucking dream within a dream within a dream, mom." You know, I saw it in theaters and I was confused the first time I saw it, but also Nolan's dialogue mixing plus the fact that I might have been high when I watched it in theaters <laughs> like probably aided to that. I rewatched it for the first time in over a decade last year, and damn, I, I think this movie's like really fucking cool. Like, cool concept. I think for as complicated as it is, it explains it very. It's the exposition dump that's like not super boring. It's like, yeah. the, it, because it's set up like Ocean's Eleven, it's a fucking heist, it's a mind heist. In a way that we're going to lay this out before we do it, uh-huh. and then we're going to fucking execute it and so you, that you understand, and then we're going to fucking subvert by creating the the mishaps, the, oh, like, my wife's here. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to dive deeper into the fucking heist yeah. for that reason. I complained about the exposition dumps in Tenet with, like, the scientist lady. Uh, don't understand it. Just feel it. In Inception... We have these long exposition scenes with DiCaprio and Ellen Page Mm -hmm. where it's so exciting and, like, there's a lot of visual storytelling. He's explaining the concept to her, but, oh, like, we're in a dream right now. And, like, it kind of blows Ellen Page's mind. And it blows our mind as a viewer because it's like, oh, that's not what we expected. We have the city folding in on itself. Mm -hmm. We have the dream within a dream type stuff, which I think 
doesn't get overly convoluted in any way. I was going to say on paper you could really fuck it up, but like yeah. in execution, the way the the film kind of it's like this domino effect where things like fall into each other in a way where it cascades by the end where it makes a lot of sense. You can see the levels kind of there's a a time dilation between these dreams within a dreams or like one is being like executed every, on a much slower scale. Every minute is 20 minutes. Yeah. Then you go into the next dream. Every minute is an hour. <laughs> like that type of shit. I think the only problem that I really have with it is that Nolan tends to do these plots with like kind of faceless antagonists where like once you go dream within a dream, they're like at the snow fortress. Yeah. And they're like just shooting at faceless henchmen mm-hmm. and like there's no reason to be invested or like have any tension in the situation the last scene of tenet is that exactly mm-hmm. if you remember like mm-hmm. they're shooting at random people someone yeah you know but yeah man it's a complicated plot just executed just about the best that it could be i think for how complicated it is for yeah. sure yeah we're moving into top two number two i have interstellar okay at number two i have the prestige Hell yeah. Okay, we're like we're like Close. switching around around here. Um dude, I think I think if I didn't love Interstellar as much as I as much as I do, I would definitely have prestige at number 1. Um listen, I think it would be a crime for my own psyche not to rank Interstellar at number 1 because I love yeah. it so much, but I think The Prestige was the film that I it was one of the first films that fucking blew my mind when I was young in a way that it's hard for me not to rank the prestige at number one if I like again, if I didn't love Interstellar so much, it being my favorite Nolan film, it is like personal preference. But I think execution wise, the prestige is perfect. Like the yeah. ma- the magician, that element of the film, of it just being this performance, and then adding like a little bit of a suspense or a suspense of disbelief. A little bit of science fiction here. Yeah. David Bowie is in this <laughs> Nikolai film. Tel- te- yeah. Tesla. Yeah. Like, I think this stuff is, it can be a little bit on the fringe, the way it's executed. But I think by the end of the film, when you move through it, the film is set up in a way to where you're the one the trick is being played on. Exactly. Yes. And I think thematically, the way that the film is executed through the characters and the plot and also to say, ha, 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 I got you to the viewer is fucking pristine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale, two of the top dogs Oh yeah, in, in acting. Awesome performances by both of them. And you have uh, Michael Keaton, or excuse me, not Michael Keaton, Michael Caine yeah. and um, Scarlett uh, Johansson. They, yeah. they both play spectacular roles. And like the fact that like um, it's kind of set in early 1900s uh, America like, mm-hmm. feels really special and set wise it's really tight uh, for that reason it just feels like dirty and spectacular at the same time it's very small scale we're not doing too much globe trotting mm-hmm. like a lot of his movies or some of his movies tend to do I think. The Prestige is one of the hardest ones to explain why I love so much, Mm -hmm. which is weird because, spoiler alert, it's my number one. Mm -hmm. I think Nolan, uh, in a rare occurrence, aside from the movie Memento, plays with like two leads that are both sort of unlikable 
and like it's hard to choose sides mm. like that kind of thing where a lot of his other movies kind of like have very defined protagonists i think this one's like it's really fun because it's hard to choose who to side with as you go along because they both kind of do reprehensible things but you kind of understand where both of them are coming from like dude it dude the script is so fucking tight and i think it becomes more valuable on rewatches where you like realize that Christian Bale has like a twin brother in the movie and like all that stuff plays in so strongly. It's dude, dude, it's so awesome. <laughs> it's dude. so awesome. Hugh Jackman in the end, all he wants to know, like the, the rope tie. Yeah. And him explaining the fear of not knowing if you were going to be the man at the prestige or the man in the tank. Like knowing if you weren't gonna be the one that dies or not, having the the courage to stand, like oh my god, dude, it fucking makes me want to cry. <laughs> it's, it's so it is. If I didn't love Interstellar so much, it would be like in my top three films. Like it, it is yeah. like it is fucking masterful. I think it it ties in one of the the most uh, spectacular elements that Chris, Christopher Nolan works with. It's for sure his best film. Oh, you think so? But I think Interstellar to me is the film where I really fell in love with Nolan. Okay. Well, you want to hop into number one, your interstellar? Yeah. And obviously you have yours at the prestige. Yeah. These are really close for me, by the way. Just want to say that. I think interstellar was first and foremost, it, it has a little bit of, um, like relational, uh, relevance to me. Like it is one of my fiance's favorite films that I've got to show her. And it feels important for me in that way. And I think the, while the prestige is a film that's a little bit more like dark and kind of blanketed in this the prestige is kind of bleak it, it it's like interstellar's uplifting it is yeah like the prestige <laughs> is like sorrow filled and like it's all based off of tragedy and like that's the tragedy is what drives the characters like in interstellar there's like this hope and this love that's like uh-huh. pushing through we're going to save mankind yeah uh, we're going to get matthew mcconaughey Back to Murphy. Yeah. Like that type of shit. I think that Nolan usually has the criticism of kind of being an unemotional director. I think Interstellar is a super emotional movie. Honestly, it's it's his strongest in that sense. You told me that when you rewatched Interstellar, you seeing McConaughey's performance of when he's rewatching the tapes of his children. <sighs> It fucking crushes me <laughs> every time. It might be one of my favorite like film moments. Period. To be it honest. is. It is without a doubt one of my one of my favorites mm-hmm. as well. And I think the fact that the film is so uplifting and it is like my favorite genre, like sci-fi. Like I love sci-fi so much. And I think the way that this film tackles sci-fi using love as the main theme. And the driving force behind the beauty of humanity and the sacrifice of a father leaving behind his life and his children, all while playing with time and gravity. Mm-hmm. And like there's the spectacle of that film as well, like looking at the black hole through this fucking speck of a spaceship. Like that shit is so beyond like human emotion and comprehension and the way it's like portrayed in this film space is this frontier of of discovery and the characters discovering humanity through that is extremely coveted to me and i i love Mm -hmm. it for that reason you know i recently went back and re-listened 
to the review that we did of Interstellar in preparation for us doing this right mm-hmm. now. And I think at the time, I still agree with all of the criticisms that I had back then, even though I like I was really bad at explaining them at the time. <laughs> but I think the emotion that the movie has, the special effects mm-hmm. are among the most immersive. When I rewatched it this week, I felt like I was alone in the universe in my living room. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it just... I, I think it'll age well. Matthew McConaughey as Coop is like one of the best <laughs> fucking uh, protagonists that Nolan's ever written. Mm-hmm. It's um ah dude, it's it's a great fucking film, man. The first two acts are among the best that he's ever done, mm-hmm. and even in the third where things get a little muddled. Like okay, like fuck it. Okay, it's very exposition heavy, but on a visual and emotional level, like those things kind of triumph over the fact mm-hmm. that it's exposition heavy. Um, man, I don't know. It's it's a great fucking movie. <laughs> There's a reason it's my number one. Like, yeah, I I understand that. It's full of love and hope and and what otherwise would be an extremely bleak situation. I think there's a reason why Nolan's one of my favorites, and I think when he shines in moments like these, it's it's special. Film wise, gives you hope in humanity and kind of really showcases the human experience and like what we value and mm-hmm. yeah man there's a reason why i love it so much and um yeah nolan's great we'll talk about oppenheimer yeah, when it, it comes newsflash nolan's a good director <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i think you should have more faith in oppenheimer i think we'll be okay I, I i think from trailer wise uh i think we're in for a treat but i worry about the technicals bogging down the spectacle I think he'll probably learn from his mistakes from Tenet as well, though. I think Tenet is an outlier. We're doing realistic, character-driven biopic as opposed to, here's this fancy concept I wrote. Like, I, I think it'll be way stronger okay. than Tenet was. And the cast is fucking stacked. We'll get there. The uh, fucking <laughs> the year is uh, in front of us, and we'll tackle it when it comes. And it'll be something that we can uh, reflect on when we do it. So I'm sure we'll go watch it, and we'll have an episode on it. Yeah, for sure. So um, an excellent podcast night, if I do have to say so myself. A little self-indulgence on our end. But yeah, sure. I had a lot of fun, though. Yeah, man. That was great. We'll be back with uh, The Wrestler at some point here in the near future. I had a lot of fun. That was an excellent night of uh, discussion. Uh, Getter, if you could do me a favor and uh, sign us out one more time tonight. Adios. Adios.